Um, we have uh, journeyed the last number of weeks um, about who we are, what we do, and why we do what we do. And uh, I hope that you've found it helpful and beneficial and the Lord has spoken to you. We want to take just two more weeks. going to talk this morning about um, cultivating a culture of astonishing generosity. That's what I want to speak about this morning. And uh, then next week you're in for a real treat. And uh, that's all I'm saying. I'm not going to say any more. So um, this morning I want to talk about the culture, the value for us as a church that we would be a people of astonishing generosity. God has been so good to us. And he's given not only of himself, but everything that we are and everything that we have. And part of the nature of God is he's a giving God. And God is inviting us into living a life that just gives. So we live to give. And this is not a talk of just about money, by the way, in case you're thinking, oh, flip, here we go. We're going to talk about that at some point. But it's about the whole of our lives that we would be generous with what we have and what we've got. And we want to talk about it in three key areas. We want to be generous through the giving of our time, our talent, and our treasure. And to help us do that, I want to take us through, a, through the journey, through the story of the life of Joseph. Joseph, you can pick up from Genesis chapter 37 to 50. That's 13, 14 chapters. And, uh, and I am going to probably take about 10 minutes bringing us up to speed on the life and the story of Joseph. Now, many of you know the story. You'll have watched uh, The Prince of Egypt on the DVD. Or you, maybe you have been to see um, Joseph and his dream coat thing. Anyone been to that, by the way? Put up your hands, you sados. Um, sorry, no, that's good. And, and it's a good, 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 it's great story, hence why it became a blockbuster in the West End and probably still is. So anyway, I want to go through the story and then unpack a few things from his life. Joseph is the 11th son to his father, Jacob. Jacob has 12 sons to four different women. And um, Joseph and his younger brother, Benjamin, are basically his favorites. They were born to the mother, uh, Rachel, um, who was basically the woman that he loved of the four. And um, because he was uh, his favorite, he, uh, he made this ornamented um, dream coat. It wasn't a dream coat. That's the West End. Uh, a robe that kind of displayed that he was daddy's favorite. We pick up the story. He's age 17, and he has two prophetic dreams. Uh, first one is a sheaf of corn is upright where as the other 11 belonging to the brothers, they were bowed down. And the second was that the sun, the moon, and 11 stars were bowing down to him. His brothers hated him all the more, not only because he told them those dreams, but because he had the coat and because he had the affection. He was the apple in the eye of his father, Jacob. And so they, uh, they threatened to kill him. They, they didn't, but they made up a story to his father uh, saying that he had been killed, but he was sold to the Midianites who took him to Egypt, which is miles and miles away. I've got a map to show you in a bit. I know, you're just wetting your appetite, get yourself excited there. And uh, Joseph is sold, first and foremost, as a slave to a man called Potiphar, and he, who is captain of the guard, a very important man to 
Pharaoh. And this is where we pick up some of the scriptures. The Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered and he lived in the house of the Egyptian master. When his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household, entrusted to his care everything that he owned. From the time he put him in charge of his household and of all that he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in the house and in the field. And while he served Potiphar, Potiphar's wife took a real liking to Joseph. And in fact, so much so that she invited him uh, to come to bed with him, which was quite direct. And uh, with him, with her, that's what I meant. He declined, was honorable and left hastily. And she made up this story that he was the one who had approached her and becomes wrongly convicted and is then sent to jail. While Joseph was there in the prison, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor. Are you getting the picture of the Lord's favor upon Joseph's life? In the eyes of the prison warden, the prison warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in the prison, and he was made responsible for all that was done there. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. Whilst he's there, he meets two other people, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker. And both of them had uh, dreams. They were prophetic dreams, dreams given from the Lord to each of them. And they didn't know what they meant. And so they share the dreams with Joseph. And Joseph not only is a, has the gift of uh, prophetic dreams which come to him in the night, but he also has the gift of being able to interpret dreams as well. And so he interprets the dreams for them. Long story, long story short, the chief cupbearer um, survives because of, the, because of the meaning of the dream, whereas the chief baker um, is put to death, which wasn't very nice, but that's that. Um, to Joseph says to the cupbearer, and when you get out, and when you get reinstated into your position of delivering drinks to Pharaoh, please make sure that you tell him about me in jail. But he doesn't, and he forgets. Two years passes in jail, and Pharaoh has two prophetic dreams and doesn't know what they mean. He gets all the, the magicians, the enchanters, to come and kind of interpret the dreams, but no one can do it. And there and then, the cupbearer, the guy that tastes the wine and gives them to the Pharaoh, he remembers Joseph in prison, and he says, I know a man who can help you. And they get him out, and Joseph interprets the dreams for Pharaoh. The meaning behind the dreams were that Egypt was going to have seven bumper years of harvest, loads of food, loads of plentiful uh, from the fields, but that would be followed by seven years of famine. The reason the dream is given to Pharaoh in two forms is that the matter has been firmly decided by God, and God will do it soon. Often when God speaks about something of uh, great importance, he usually speaks more than just once. It's usually multiple times, and often it comes in different forms as well. In this case, it was two times through two dreams. 
but the meaning was one and the same. And now uh, let Pharaoh look for a discerning and wise man and put him in charge of the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh appoint commissioners over the land to take a fifth of the harvest of Egypt during the seven years of abundance. They should collect all the food of these good years that are coming and store up the grain under the authority of Pharaoh to be kept in the cities for food. This food should be held in reserve for the country to be used during the seven years of famine that will come upon Egypt so that the country may not be ruined by the famine. The plan seemed good to Pharaoh and to all his officials. So Pharaoh asked them, can we find anyone like this man, one in whom is the spirit of God? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has made all this known to you, there is no one so discerning and wise as you. You shall be in charge of my palace and all my people are to submit to your orders. Only with respect to the throne will I be greater than you. What do we say in Vineyard? He who gets the vision gets the job. This is a classic, classic case, isn't it? He's come up, he's not only interpreted the dream, but he's come up with a plan of action. This is what you should do. See those seven years when the grain's going to be coming in? We need to store it up. We need to make massive, massive silos and vats and kind of just keep it stored up so that when the seven years of famine come, we've got enough food and we're going to survive and get through. That's what we need to do. He who gets a vision gets the job. And that was a portion for Joseph. Pharaoh appoints Joseph from being in prison to being the prime minister of Egypt. He was the most powerful man in that nation except for Pharaoh himself. He went from zero to hero. He went from rags to riches immediately because the Lord was with him and granted him favor and success. This was at the age of 30. 13 years have passed since Joseph was uh, sold and gotten rid of in his home nation of Israel. 13 years have passed from that point until this point of which he is then appointed to be the prime minister of Egypt. So he's in charge of the storehouses filled with reserves of grain, and this is coming. Now, not only in Egypt is there famine that comes seven years after plenty, but the whole area of which uh, Israel, as it was later known, uh, north. Can we have the map now? That's Q for the map. That's a beauty right there, isn't it? So, ah, oh, I should have had a Peter Pointer, you know, one of those wee laser things. Have we got one? Ah, oh, look at that. Ian, what a man. What a guy. What do I do? Which button do I press? Switch it on. That's a good start. That one? Am I going to screw it? Oh, no batteries. Ian, Ian, you, you've, you've, oh, do I do that? No, I don't do it. Yeah, don't worry, it's all right, don't worry. Right, so <coughs> on the right-hand side, the east. Oh, we're good, we're good, we're good, we're good. Oh, I do. Thank you. Ah, oh, look at that. Oh, look at that. Look at that. Oh, I get excited. So kind of Israel kind of starts about there and kind of ends all oh, way down here, actually. Uh, but anyway, that's not the point. The point is, begins the journey here comes north of Dothan, 
and then there's this big long journey all the way to Egypt. Now, the most important point is this thing down here. Any good map man or woman will tell you, you've got to know the scale of the map. And so you see there, naught to 100, that's kilometers, or miles. So it just begins to give you just a bit of a scale of how vast this area is and what a long journey it was for him. And in that place, some travels take place over the next while. I thought this was going to be 10 minutes. It's talking, turning into being a bit of a saga, isn't it? But let's kind of speed things up slightly. In the north there, in Israel as well, they are experiencing drought. And they, as a nation, God's special people, are under threat of their own existence as well. And so they go looking for food. They hear reports of the south in Egypt that there is food. And so Jacob, Joseph's father, sends 10 of his sons. Benjamin, the other favorite, remains at Jacob's side. And so he sends the 10 other brothers. Joseph, uh, so they go down there. And um, where are we? Joseph instantly recognizes that the brothers have arrived. And he knows who they are, but they don't recognize who he is. Joseph gives orders to fill their bags with grain and to each uh, man's silver back in their bag. They have brought silver to basically buy grain, to buy food with. But Joseph sneakily just puts the silver back in the bags and sends it with grain back with them. After this was done, they loaded their grain on the donkeys and they left. And uh, they realized later the silver's been put back in and they're really scared. They're trembling, thinking, what is this that God has done to us? Why has the silver returned to us? During the conversation, he asks and he inquires about his younger brother, Benjamin. And they say, yeah, yeah, he's at home with dad. And uh, he wants to see Benjamin. And so he, he does a bit of a sneaky thing. He keeps one of the brothers, Simeon, and keeps him there on deposit for bringing Benjamin to him. They then return back home to Jacob. They give him the grain. They give him the silver. And they tell him, um, where is Benjamin? We, this guy, we don't know who he is, even though it's Joseph, says they want to see Benjamin. They make a second trip down there. I was going to read loads, but I'm just going to tell you the story as best as I can. Um, second trip down, they bring Benjamin. And at this point, Joseph begins to ask about his father, Jacob. Is, is your dad still alive? Yes, he's still alive. I'd like to see him too. He does a bit of a sneaky trick, this time with a silver cup. And they come back. The, the, the brothers are trembling, thinking this man's all powerful. What are we going to do? And we, we haven't done anything wrong, but it looks like that we've done something wrong. And at this point, Joseph, moved to tears, discloses who he is to his brothers and says, I am your brother, Joseph. At which point, they're not only, I guess, delighted, but they're also still really scared. This is what we did to you. And now, here you are in this position, uh, telling us these things. Later on, Jacob returns. Jacob returns uh, with uh, his wider family. This one's important to read this. All those who went to Egypt with Jacob, those with his descendants, not counting his son's wives, numbering 66 persons, with the two sons who had been born to Joseph in Egypt, 
the members of Jacob's family which went to Egypt were 70 in all. Jacob had relocated his entire family and the people of God to Egypt. Jacob sees out his days there and lives a further 17 years before he dies. At his death, the brothers still are slightly fearful of Joseph and like, oh, now that dad's gone, what is he going to do to us? And they were concerned for their own well-being. Joseph says, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. The prophetic dreams that Joseph was given at the age of 17 became true. And through his life, the whole nation, the people of God, were rescued and redeemed, and they settled there in Egypt. I want to spend the next wee while just unpacking a few things. How did Joseph live and cultivate a life of astonishing generosity in the three areas of time, talent, and treasure. We can divide up what we know about Joseph's life in three key areas. The first area is a season of preparation. The second area is the season of promotion. And the third area is the season of prosperity. From the age of 17 to 30, that was his season of preparation. Away from his home, betrayed, hurt, uh, knowing no one, not knowing the culture, serving uh, Potiphar, being wrongly accused by Potiphar's wife, being sent to jail for something that he'd never done before. This was the season. This was the significant season where God had to work in Joseph's life. And he passes three tests. The first test that he passes is the forgiveness test. You would think that he would be bitter and twisted and hurt by the things that were done by his brothers. And you would rightly say he would have a fair point. You would think that being wrongly accused for something that he didn't do and being sent to jail, that you'd be pretty messed up and screwed up over that. But in that place, in the time that he had spent, Joseph chose to forgive. He chose to set the people that had done wrong things to him. He chose to set them free. And in so doing, he sets himself free from the things that were done to him. And we've said this before, that often the things of harm that have come to our own lives can either be a stumbling block to our future or a stepping stone into our future. And sometimes the things can just hold us back and we harbor grudges, and we, we hold on to things that were said or things that were done, and it just prevents us from stepping into the destiny that God has before us. The enemy knows what is so intended by God in us, and it's the thing that he fears the most, and he'll do anything to disrupt whatever that thing is, and yet that very thing often is the thing that God wants to use and we've seen it time and time again, so many times where God has set people free of certain things that have happened. And it's that very thing, it's that hallmark that God is wanting to use to bless and encourage other people in a similar situation. Joseph passes the faithfulness test. 
He is a young man away alone and he's invited by Potiphar's wife to come to bed with him. And he is faithful and runs away from that. My master has withheld nothing from me, he says, but because you are his wife, how could I do such a wicked thing and sin against you and against God? And he runs away. And the third one is the fruitfulness test. We read, didn't we, in those passages, how often the Lord was with him and granted him favor wherever he went, even when he was in prison. The Lord was with him and granted him uh, great favor. And I think often in our lives, we can think, oh, life is so difficult right now. I'm striving really hard, and I'm just not seeing much fruit in my life. I'm just not seeing much of a return in terms of my labor or whatever's going on. And yet, that was the season. In that season, God was preparing Joseph to lead a nation. I might have told you this story before. University for me was, in some ways, um, one of the most unhappy kind of episodes, I guess, or seasons of my life. I was lonely, and uh, I was away from home, and I didn't really make good friends. I didn't really settle, if I'm honest, plus I had to study. Um, and, and it was in those times that I was just like, God, what am I doing here? All I wanted to do was be back uh, from where I was from and being involved with church and ministry and all that sort of stuff. And for three years, uh, which you could have done in two years, let's be fair, sports degree and all that, um, we, you know, I was like, God, what am I doing here? What am I doing? And I really wanted to leave after two years. I had a prophetic dream and uh, in it, God spoke really clearly, you need to finish this. You need to finish what you've started. And, and it was the wisdom of God. It was the mercy of God. It was the direction of God. Because if I hadn't finished university, I wouldn't have been able to go on and do teaching, which is what I've done for another season of my life as well. Um, that's not really the point. The main point is, in that season, I had a lot of time with God. And in that season, I remember hours, not hours at a time, but over time, hours just pouring my life out, my heart out to Jesus in prayer, in reading the scriptures, in listening to worship music. And in that season, even though you'd think, oh, it wasn't a fruitful season, it was what God was doing in my heart and in my life at that time. That was the important preparation ground for what was to come. And so some of you might find yourself in that season of preparation where he's doing heart surgery, where he's looking at things and he's just poking and probing and, and freeing you up in certain ways. Our most fruitful days are where we are right now. Do what we can with what we've got where we are. My questions to you are how are you investing your time? How are you sowing into God's kingdom in a generous way by giving of your time our modern life are busy and uh, and often for many of us time is the precious commodity that we don't have a lot of spare time and i understand that i recognize that we realize that but the question is how are we spending our time joseph had loads of time on his hands in prison but later when he became prime minister he was probably a pretty busy man. How are we sowing? How are we taking what time that we do have and giving it away 
and giving it away and blessing and encouraging other people. We need your help. Um, in August, I think it's the 21st or the 27th of August, it's a week, we would like to, as a church, I said this la at the end of last summer, we would like to spend uh, a number of days serving our community in practical ways. Practical ways meaning it could be picking up litter, it could be painting, it could be really basic kind of construction, I don't mean brick building because you'd need to be specialized for that, um, clearing ground or whatever it might, tidy or whatever it might be, they're just some ideas. We'd like to do some, either a project or a number of projects in our community. They could be for individuals, they could be for neighbors that you know, or it could be for a community project or a place, it could be a school, it could be an organization, it could be anything. We met with a council the other day, Steve and I, basically sharing this idea and they, they got excited and kind of coming up with some ideas and that could be fruitful. But what we thought is rather than just going and doing what we think might be a good idea, I thought I would just put it out to you folks and go, do you know of someone or some people or a particular geographical area in, in could be Carrick, it could be any of the surrounding areas where you all come from, where you live, and you think, yes, a few people going there and doing something, could be for a day, could be for three days or whatever, is going to make a real difference to the life of that person or those people. If you know of something, as I'm speaking this and you're thinking, oh, yeah, I, wow, we could do that, then please speak to me or speak to Steve or, or, or speak to Matthew or Chantel or, or anyone. Come tell us. By doing it, he who gets the vision gets the job. So you become part of it at that point. But it's something that we'll want to get behind and we'll want to do together as a church. Two more. The next one's much briefer. Talent. Joseph displayed astonishing generosity by putting his talent to good use. There is nothing more sad. Oh, there's probably a few things that are more sad. It is really sad when you see people with huge talent that never use their God-given talent, or they never use it to the full effect that God had given to them. In fact, Jesus talked about talent, didn't he? The parable of the talents. The person who dug a hole and just buried it and stuck it in the ground. And God used Joseph's extraordinary talent for dreams, interpretation of dreams, of the wisdom of God that came up with the master plan that got him the job to rule Egypt. And not only was he gifted in those things, but he was faithful and willing to step into the destiny that God had for him. With time and hardship, Joseph learned how to steward the talent that was entrusted to him. I am sure that you would agree that sharing these dreams about how wonderful and amazing he was at the age of 17 wasn't the wisest plan of action. It got him into trouble. And oftentimes we make mistakes too through our own in inexperience or lack of humility or ego to prove something or whatever it might be. But God taught Joseph through suffering 
have. And he learned humility and ability to steward the entrusted talent that God had given to him. Joseph interpreted the dreams, came up with a master plan. The question to us is how are we stewarding the gifts that God has given us? How are we using the talents, talents, be it spiritual gifts or God-given talents of which they are different? How are we using those and giving those away to bless and encourage and equip and serve other people? Some of you may say, I don't know what mine are. Well, delight yourself in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart. And you'll notice that what you simply just do is what comes naturally to you. And that is part of knowing what our talents are. The last thing is treasure. Joseph displayed astonishing generosity with his treasure, his stuff, his wealth. Remember zero to hero? Remember rags to riches? He knew what it was like to not have anything. And yet the promotion that he got, he gained great wealth. When his brothers came on their first trip, what did he do? He sent the silver back with them, with the grain. When the brothers returned, they were worried they were going to get in big trouble. They were taken aside. And they said to the attendant, this special man who was put in place, he said, we're going to get in trouble, aren't we? We, we, we? It's about the silver. Joseph's going to punish us. They were still worried about the silver that was returned to them. And Joseph's attendant said this. It's all right, he said. Don't be afraid. Your God, the God of your father, has given you treasure in your sacks. God had done this. God had blessed them. And on the second trip, they went with even more that was given from the hands of Joseph. Don't be afraid. Your God, the God of your father, has given you treasure in your sacks. The Lord will provide. That's a phrase that we use, isn't it? Oh, don't worry. The Lord will provide. The Lord provides supernaturally, oftentimes just out of the blue. And most of the time, the Lord provides through his people, through the astonishing generosity of his people that he provides. Joseph had given of his stuff to his brothers, and he could have really withheld that. Because of these things, because of the way Joseph lived, he stewarded God's given uh, talent, time, and treasure. A whole nation was rescued and redeemed. What could Carrick Fergus become? What could Larne become? Green Island, Ballymere, Ballycarry, Whitehead. Sorry, Sergeant. Valley Clare. What could these places become if we lived a wholehearted life of astonishing generosity through our time, through our treasure, and through our talents? We're known as a church 
within our community for a number of different reasons. Oh, that's the church that meets in the school. Uh, that's the church that has donuts uh, after church. Or it could be a number of other things. How we want to be known as a church that exists for people outside the four walls than inside the four walls. That's our heart. That's God's heart. Within our community, we are known as a generous people. That we come, that we're the hands and the feet of Jesus and we serve outside the four walls, not just inside the four walls. They're the church that do that Mother's Day cafe for free. They visit people in prison. They take and befriend kids who need that extra bit of care and love. They run a cafe on Fridays. It's free. You just turn up. They give food away. They make up special mummy bags for uh, new mums, for people that can't afford them. They give school bags for kids whose parents can't provide them. They're the church that help provide the team who care for people with crisis pregnancy and sexual health within our town. They're the church who take hundreds of t-shirts and build beds for kids and their families in Ethiopia. That's the church who serves and gives away. Uh, Christmas Eve uh, park run, the run that takes place every Saturday down in Paris. Uh, some of you were there. We, we stuck up a gazebo and we gave away teas and coffees and tray bakes and all the rest, which many of you have provided for us and for the runners there and the spectators. And it's just a great occasion. It's just another great occasion of building community and uh, serving and all the rest. And one of the runners, someone, someone that we know, um, she was so appreciative of what had happened. So appreciative, so touched. And she was looking for the jar. She, you know, she was like, what, you know, where's, the, where's the jar? Surely I've got to give, some, give some money. And then she said this poem, which I just love. I love it. She said this, I've got it in speech marks and italics in my notes here. Oh, I forgot, you're the church that doesn't ask for money. Oh, yes, may we be known as that church. We're not after people's money. Because we're the ones who are sowing generously. We're the ones who are giving of ourselves, of our time, our treasure. And we're doing that. We deliberately don't have a collection. We're going to have a collection in two weeks' time. And I think it's the second, it could be the third, I have a short memory sometimes, collection where we ask people to actually give as part of our service. And I'm going to speak about that in a moment. We do it deliberately with our guest in mind. If you're our guest here, we do not want you to feel compelled to give. If you are our regular here and you've, you've called Carrick's Vineyard your church, we invite you to, to partner with God, with us, through the giving of your treasure, of what God has given you. And a number of people do that through direct debit, through bank transfer, our giving box, which is out there. But we would encourage you to give astonishingly, generously to the Father, that we might sow that into everything that God's called us to here. We've presented three things this morning, and I realize that for some of you, you'll be sitting there going, ah, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm quite good. I, I give quite a lot of my time. I, I'm involved here, and I do this, and I do that. And for others, you might be thinking, oh, I, I can't quite commit to giving there right now. And uh, this is not an arm-up-the-back job. This is a, we're just encouraging, partner with Jesus, partner with the Holy Spirit in what God is calling you to do. 
We don't want this just to be a nice sermon, though. We want it to be a life-changing thing. You are blessed as you give. It is more blessed to give than it is to receive as we give through our, through our money, through our time, through the talent that God has given us. Folks, in two weeks' time, we are going to take up an offering. And right now, famine is a reality for, I think it said, 16 million people. It poses to be the worst famine than ever before because of drought and because of circumstances. And it's the world's most vulnerable that are affected. And you're going to be given an envelope very shortly as you leave here. And I would like you to take that envelope and treat that envelope really, really seriously and prayerfully. Please don't just, oh, in the back pocket, oh, you got, it hits the shelf when you get home. And oh, Where's that envelope? If you bring a Bible to church, stick it in your Bible, stick it in your hand, stick it somewhere safe. And I want you really, really just to, to pray over that and say, God, what is it that you want me to give? And I would encourage you to simply see the faces of the images that we see on the screen or we see on TV. And I, I think we're probably going to see a lot more of it coming on the TV over the coming months. And see it through the eyes of Jesus. See it through the eyes, if you're a parent, of that could be my kid. And if it was my kid, boy, I would give a hundred. I would empty my bank account. I would take out a loan. I would do anything. I'm not saying take out a loan to give, by the way. <laughs> but, to, but to take it really, really seriously and prayerfully and give generously. We would love to be in a position where... Steve drives to the Tear Fund offices in Belfast with envelopes full of money, full of checks. And, uh, and we're able to say, together as a community of God's people, we were able to give this amount of money. That it would be astonishingly generous. And through it, lives are changed. God has given us so much. And he invites us to give it away. We live to give.